Merry Christmas. I know we got a lot of kiddos, so they're really going to enjoy my two-hour sermon. No way. It's Christmas Eve. We got things to do. So uh, I just want to say a few simple things before we continue celebrating this great holiday. If you have a Bible, open it up. Turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So right away we're introduced to a couple, uh, Mary and Joseph. And the scripture says that they are betrothed. Uh, Betrothal in first century Israel was somewhere between our engagement and our married. So it was a bigger commitment than what we call engagement. But they weren't fully married yet. But Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant. Now we know not by natural means, but because the spirit of God has come upon her according to the will of God and the plan of God. Verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. As I said, we know why Mary is pregnant. But at this moment, Joseph doesn't know, and he assumes what probably many of us would assume, which is Mary has been unfaithful to him. And so he's left with three options in his culture. Option number one, he can publicly humiliate her. Uh, Nazareth was not a, a big place. That's where Mary and Joseph was, uh, were from. And in fact, Nazareth uh, in first century could have probably fit inside this school's property. So a very small place. He could have drugged her before the local synagogue there. It was the center of life. He could have explained to everyone what she had done, publicly humiliated and shamed her. That was totally his right to do that at that time. Option number two is he could break off their engagement, but he could not go out of his way to uh, humiliate and, and shame her. Option number three, he could continue on with the engagement. So Joseph, the scripture says, is a just man. He's a righteous man. He's a good man. And so he's going to break off the engagement because he, again, assumes what most of us would assume. She's been unfaithful to him for some reason, but he doesn't want to go out of his way to just be mean. So he chooses option number two, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So Joseph falls asleep. The angel appears, fills him in on what the rest of us know. This is the work of God for the plan of God. This is a good thing that's happened. Your assumption about Mary isn't correct. And notice that it calls Joseph the son of David. Now, what's interesting is Joseph's dad was actually named Jacob. Uh, But his ancestor was King David. And so Joseph still was wearing that title. Just as Joseph's father had done and his grandfather and his great-grandfather. Because it was a huge honor to be in the line of Israel's great King David. About 20 years ago, my grandparents got into genealogies. Now this was pre-internet days. And you can imagine how difficult a task that would have been for them. Because my last name is Jones. Right? (laughs) Try unwinding that. But somewhere they broke off from the Jones family and started following some ancestor we have whose name was Wallace. Long story short, they came back convinced that we are related to William Wallace of Braveheart fame. Now, I'm about 1,000% sure that that's not actually true. 
But it doesn't prevent me from bringing it up anytime somebody mentions the word genealogy or family history. So if I'm proud of something that almost assuredly is not correct, think how proud Joseph must have been that he actually was in the family line of Israel's great King David. In fact, that's how the Gospel of Matthew starts with a genealogy tracing Joseph's ancestry back to David, even further back to Abraham. And it's important because God had made a promise to both Abraham and then specifically David that one of David's ancestors would be on the throne of Israel forever. That's why the Magi, the wise men, they come and they worship Jesus as a king because he was the fulfillment of that promise that God had made to David. Verse 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Uh, Jesus is the English version of a Latin version. Of a Greek version of a Hebrew name Yeshua. And Yeshua literally means God saves. Uh, my name is Curtis. Uh, it's the Anglo-Norman version of a French word that means courteous or polite. So whenever I use good manners, I'm fulfilling my name. Well, when Jesus was Jesus, and his life, his death, his resurrection, when he did Jesus things, he was literally fulfilling his name. God is saving the world through his own son born in Bethlehem. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's a quotation from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, prophesied by that prophet hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Now, I know it's Christmas Eve. Many of us have a to-do list even after we leave. Uh, my family is going to see Mary Poppins in case any of you are interested. So I know we're caught up in the traditions and the celebrations. Even coming to church may be in line with that, but I would love for you, if possible, to remember three quick things. Number one, Remember that God is with us. Because Jesus was born in Bethlehem, we can have confidence today that God is with us. That's what the prophet Isaiah prophesied and Matthew said was fulfilled that night Jesus was born. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Whenever we think about Jesus' birth, I guess I can't speak for you, I'll just speak for me. Whenever I think about Jesus' birth, I think of it as the picture on the front of Christmas cards. People don't send out Christmas cards anymore. They send out pictures of their family. We do it too. No judgment. But when, uh, you know, in former days, uh, you would send out an actual Christmas card and it would have some kind of Christmas message on it. And often it would have a picture of the nativity scene on it. And so there were shepherds out in grassy fields outside of Bethlehem. There was the cute stable, a little charming stable. Inside the stable were a lamb and maybe a goat, although not a goat because goats aren't cute. Well, sometimes they're cute, but anyway. Uh, 
you know, animals are laying down, a little cow right there, and then there's a feeding trough, and there's a smiling baby Jesus inside of it with doting, put-together parents, Mary and Joseph, looking in on the baby Jesus. It's a beautiful sentiment. Uh, I, I doubt any of it is that accurate of what was actually happening that night. If you've been to Israel or even seen pictures of fields outside of Bethlehem, for most of the year, they're very dusty and dirty. So there are no green pastures outside of Bethlehem, again, for most of the year. Uh, I've never been in a charming stable. Usually those buildings are built for function and for as cheaply as possible. And you can imagine in real life that those animals, those barnyard animals were not gently laying down while birth was happening inside the stable. They were moving around. They were smelly. They were doing their business in the same room that Jesus was being uh, born into. Plus, history tells us that it probably wasn't a cute little charming stable Jesus was born into. It was either the first floor of the home where animals were kept or it was a cave outside of Jerusalem. And then in those Christmas cards, Jesus An infant is always smiling. Um, But I don't think babies actually get the ability to smile, except for apart from gas, for quite some time. And I doubt that Mary and Joseph were as put together as we see them in the Christmas cards. I mean, they just had a baby in a barn. Then immediately had a bunch of strangers showing up wanting to see this baby. It's just not real life. But because we have that Christmas card picture in our souls and in our minds, we think, well, it makes sense that God is Emmanuel when everything is perfect. When everything looks like a Christmas card, it must mean that God is with me. But if it's a little bit more realistic, then maybe God is not with me. Maybe God has stepped out. Maybe God has gotten distracted with some other people. But Emmanuel is a name that is given to Jesus. He always is Emmanuel. God is always with us. Whether your life does look like a Christmas card or it's a little bit more realistic, God is with us. A lot of us have this assumption that God swoops in and swoops out of our life. He swoops in, causes a little chaos, disciplines us a little bit, gives us a pep talk, and then swoops right out. But the point that Matthew is making is once Jesus was born, God is always with us because Christ is with us here. Second thing that I want you to remember is that salvation is here because God is with us. Salvation is here. Verse 21 says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. A few years after this, Jesus will go on to tell a parable about a tax collector and a Pharisee who went to the temple to appear before God and pray. If you wanted to offend someone in the first century, you should just compare them to a tax collector. It was the lowest of the lowest. They they were scoundrels. They were selfish. They were rude. They were only concerned about themselves. The tax collector comes to pray and prays in a way that you think a tax collector ought to pray. Can't even lift his face up towards God. Feels ashamed for even being there because he knows things that he's done and the way that he's acted. The Pharisee comes to pray. If you wanted to compliment someone in first century Israel, you should compare them to a Pharisee. They were the Christmas card of Christians. Their behavior was perfect. 
They were always put together. They always had a great answer to a difficult question. And the Pharisee prays what you would think a Pharisee would pray, which if somebody has great behavior, always makes the right decision, their life is always put together, what are they going to say to God except for, God, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. Not wicked like he is. I come to church all the time. I do the right thing all the time. One of those people knew they needed salvation and the other was convinced they didn't need salvation. The point Jesus is making in the parable is they both did. And honestly, we probably have both groups in here tonight. And sometimes I act like a tax collector and sometimes I act like the Pharisee. Sometimes I know that I am in need of a rescue that I cannot give myself. And other times I feel fine. I feel great. And I feel thankful that I'm not someone else. But the salvation that Jesus brought is for every one. Most religions will present a salvation, but their message is salvation is over there. And we're going to tell you how to get over there to get it. But the message of Jesus is salvation comes right to your doorstep. I mean, John chapter one says that there wasn't anything that was made when God created anything that, that when God created everything that wasn't made through Jesus. He was a part of the creation process. Another place in the scripture says that all of creation is upheld by the word of Jesus' power. So everything that is made is made through him. He's the creator, but he came and became a creation. He, He came to become human with the very humans that he made. When someone invents something, they get exalted by their invention. Uh, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, uh, they're almost deified in our culture because they invented the personal computer. Uh, Lawrence Shipley is deified in Houston because he invented the Shipley's donut. Can you imagine what that would have been like to have been in his kitchen when the first hot Shipley donut was made? Let's just have a moment of silence. (laughs) Uh, That would have been a Merry Christmas. We honor people for the things that they are created. Their their creations, their inventions actually separate them from us normal people. But Jesus did the opposite. He created everything. But instead of separating himself, he came and became one of us, the eternal pre-existing son of God, putting on humanity. How much must God love us to do that, to bring salvation right to our doorstep? And the third thing that I want you to remember is like Joseph, we should follow through on what God has asked us to do. Verse 24 says, when Joseph woke from sleep, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. Now, we don't know for certain, but Matthew makes it seem like Joseph woke up and they got married that day. Their wedding date probably wasn't that day. But Matthew makes it seem 
like Joseph said, this is what God has asked me to do. And so I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it right now. The angel explained to Joseph why Mary was pregnant, but it didn't mean it was going to be easy for Joseph to make that choice. Just think about if you were in that situation. You signed up to be married, and, and maybe in this culture, Joseph and Mary didn't have primary influence in that arrangement. Their moms and dads could have uh, orchestrated their whole betrothal and they could have agreed to it, but it may not have really been them driving the situation. So Joseph is in this relationship. He's excited to marry Mary. Now he knows that she's pregnant and not just pregnant, but pregnant with God's own son. Joseph could have said, you know, I didn't really sign up for that. Uh, I just thought I was getting married and I'm a righteous and just man, but I'm not that righteous and just. But he had to make a decision to do what God was asking him to do or to do what was easiest for him. If you follow Jesus, that is a decision that you'll have to make multiple times a day. Will I do what God has asked? Or will I do what is most convenient for me? Will I do what God has commanded Or will I just make decisions based on my own expectations for my life? Joseph had to put those expectations aside and say, this is what I'm going to do. And he obeyed simply and he obeyed quickly. Jesus is the best example of this. He didn't do what was easiest for him. He he took on flesh. He agreed to be born in a manger. He agreed to take on a cross. He agreed to lead us into the kingdom of heaven. But before he took up his cross, he took up his manger. He willingly humbled himself and followed through on what God was asking him to do. Why? Because God is with us and God has saved us. And obeying him in response to those two things is what makes the most sense at Christmas. Let's pray.